This Christmas season, we're taking the next four weeks to focus on Advent. This season centers around the celebration of Jesus, his arrival on the earth at his birth, and his arrival in our lives today. Join us as we examine joy, hope, faith, and peace, and how the source of these only come through Jesus Christ. All right, so hey, we're in a series that we are doing uh, for the month of December about Advent. And this might be an old tradition for some of you, or it might be a very new idea for you. It's going to depend on what your church upbringing is in your life. I happen to have grown up in a church that did Advent, and I love that because everything was decorated and you got all these warm, fuzzy feelings like Christmas was coming, right? But for others of us, because this is something maybe our church didn't do when we grew up or we didn't grow up going to church, this is a totally new idea. And the truth is, this is the first time we've ever done Advent here at Grace Life. So if you're wondering, like, did I miss this in the, like last year or something? Like, no, no, we've never done this. Some people might say that we're a, a little bit less traditional of a church. And uh, so this is a very traditional idea. Many churches do this every single year. It's just what they do. They never think twice about it. So uh, hopefully we can all come together, whether this is old or whether it's brand new, and we can have a good time together. So look, here's what Advent is all about. It is about the coming of our Savior into the world. Can I get more than, yeah, I mean, like, that, that should have, uh, I set you all up. I teed you up. It's kind of like when you're in, doing a marriage thing and you say something, you give a chance for all the guys to say amen for their wives, and, and they missed it. So all of you are now in the doghouse with Jesus, all totally on your own. I set you up, and uh, you didn't take it. All right, I'm just kidding. Hopefully, you're not in the doghouse with Jesus. But what Advent is about is preparing our hearts and minds for the idea that our Savior did come into the world. You know, if you watch Christmas movies, you get all kinds of ideas. Like, Christmas is about giving gifts. No, it's not. Christmas is about being kind to everybody. Well, I hope you're kind, but that's not what it's about. Christmas is about time with family. I hope you get a lot of time with your family, but no, it's not. Okay, look, Christmas is not about a baby. Because even if Jesus was nothing more than a baby and nothing else came after it, we missed a whole lot, right? So what Christmas is about, and, and Advent there is preparing us for this, is the idea that our Savior, our Savior, the Savior of the world was born, and, and making that so much more tangible to us than just a baby being born in a manger. Amen, you guys with me on this? So uh, what we do for Advent is we have a theme each week that helps us connect in a very practical and tangible way to all that Jesus has done in our lives. And so we'll get to those themes in just a minute. First, I wanna ask a question. How many of you are Christmas card sending people? How many of you are Christmas card people, right? Look at the hands, not many of them, although that was more than I expected. Uh, our Thursday service, man, like three hands, and that was it. And this is another tradition, by the way, that's kind of died off uh, and some of us may not be familiar with. Uh, I grew up with a mother that this was a very, very big deal. Matter of fact, still to this day, uh, she, she does Christmas cards. And I mean, she will spend hours and hours writing a Christmas card to virtually every human she has ever known. And you end up like sending like a stack this big. And I remember as a kid thinking, okay, if you add up the monetary value of the stamps, you've taken at least one of my Christmas presents away. I'm just saying, <laughs> the stack of cards that you're mailing to people, and I'm not sure what they do with it, but I'll tell you what my mom does with it because some of you are actually obsessed with this Christmas card thing. My mom decorates her house with them. So she, there you go, other people doing this. All right, okay, maybe it's a thing. We don't do it, but okay. 
But, but what you do is you, you take the cards you got last year and you display them all over the house. And then as you get a new card from that person, you kind of replace them. And so the cards are on the tables, they're on windowsills, they're on mantles, they're, they're, they're on. Did you know that you can actually buy Christmas card holders? There's like, what? Okay, I mean like, and so they like string down doors and walls and all of these cards. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is because if you've ever looked at a Christmas card, uh, you know one when you see it, Right? It doesn't look like a birthday card. It doesn't look like a high school graduation card. It, and it always has like the same kind of pictures and the same kind of words if you ever look at one. Like they've always got like a nativity scene or a star or some shepherds or something. They don't have like a basketball. They don't say like congratulations. Matter of fact, usually there are words that are the same. On, on these cards, there's, there's only a, a short list of words that show up. And, and as you see with this one, like this one says peace and love, and joy, and maybe you'll get a word like faith or hope or something like that. And we get these every year, and it's supposed to give us the idea that this word is more meaningful to us during this season. But you know what's funny is you get a card that says peace from somebody that hasn't spoken to you in three years. And you're like, is this a coded message? I don't know. I mean, I'm a little concerned here. You get a, a, a card that says joy from the most bah humbug person you know in your life. And you're like, this just doesn't even make any sense. Or maybe you get a card that says joy when all you want to do is rip it up and throw it away. Nothing to do with the person, just that's kind of how you're feeling. Well, here's the idea. These words that show up on Christmas cards are what Advent is all about. These words are supposed to actually be real and tangible in our lives because Jesus came. And so what we are doing this year, Advent can have all kinds of themes. Our theme for Advent this year, I just call it behind the scenes Christmas card words. It's the words that we put out there that come from scripture. Scriptures actually say Jesus brings these things into our lives. And so one of the other themes that we have with Advent, a tradition that comes along with it is you light a candle each week to represent the theme that we're talking about. And so we actually began last week because Advent is about the first four Sundays leading up to Christmas, which was Thanksgiving weekend for us. And so Eric uh, started us off with the theme of peace and understanding that we can have peace even when our world is filled with chaos. And I'm not gonna repeat any of that message. If you have missed it, I encourage you, go back and get that online because what I want is for you to be able to experience all four of these Christmas card words during Advent this year. I want them to be more tangible to you. So I'm not gonna repeat anything of what Eric preached, but I'm gonna steal his definition because his definition was so good, we're gonna use it every single week, except we're gonna change out one word. And so he told us that peace is internal calmness despite external circumstances, meaning there's something in here that allows you to just kind of stand like this, even while the ceiling is falling down around you. There, there's something that God gives you that is separate from what the world gives you. Matter of fact, Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. So anyway, enough on that message because he did a great job. Go back and catch that one. But our second theme and the one that we're gonna pick up today is the idea of joy. And we want joy to be real in our lives as well. So we're gonna take this same definition, this idea, joy is internal happiness, despite external circumstances. And for those of you that have been around Grace Life any period of time and you've heard me kind of pick on the word happy at times, don't worry, I'm not gonna betray everything I've ever said, just hold on to that, we're gonna come back to it. But what I want us to do is to begin with what I believe is the, might be the single most important statement, the cornerstone statement that Jesus ever made about joy. 
in Scripture. So if you want to turn with me, you can. It's in John chapter 15. Uh, Everybody else, don't worry. It's just one sentence. It'll be right here on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. One sentence, but three things happening in that sentence that make it honestly a rather complex sentence. Now, here's what I know. If we can understand this sentence and grasp the three things that Jesus was telling us, we can have joy in our lives no matter what's happening around us. So our goal for today is simply to walk out of here, those of you online, to log off knowing that we grasp what Jesus wanted for us from the three things he told us in this sentence. So our goal is to understand one sentence today. Do you think we can do that, y'all? One one sentence. Here we go. Let's give it our best shot. So we're going to begin with the first thing that he said. He said, I've told you these things. Now, again, when we read our Bible, there are chapters and verses that were put in there hundreds of years later. What Jesus had been doing at this point for us is John chapter 15. For several chapters, he has simply been talking to his closest disciples, and he's been giving them a rundown of these things, telling them these things to prepare them for what was to come. So what were some of these things that Jesus told them so that they would have joy? Well, he started out by saying, well, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. I'm going to experience personal betrayal by some of the people, one of the people, actually, who's closest to me. And it's going to even affect you guys because you would have thought he was a good friend as well. You would have called him a trusted brother. You're going to find out he's not a trusted brother. He's going to betray me, and that's going to betray you as well. He goes on to say that I'm going to leave. I'm going to be gone. You're going to be looking for me, but you won't find me. So that's going to be a little confusing, but don't worry. The reason that I'm gone and you can't find me is because I go to prepare a place for you. But the good news is I'm going to leave my spirit with you and you'll do greater things than me. And I'm thinking, that's good, Jesus. Thank you for that slightly comforting thought there as we were going to be very confused looking for you. At least we know your spirit is with us. I'm not sure, though, that we understand what that means at this point. So he keeps talking to them and he twice in this discussion that he's having with them, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Twice. Do you know why he told them twice, let not your hearts be troubled? Because their lives were going to be very, very troubled. And it's still true for us today that our lives are very troubled. And then he tells them, oh, by the way, the ruler of this world is coming, Satan. He's about to to wreak havoc in your world and to see if he can cause some, some trouble in your lives. And so let's just kind of understand what's going on at this point. Jesus said, I've told you these things, and these things are, I'm going to be betrayed, so you're going to experience betrayal, and and I'm going to go away. You're going to be confused. You're going to look for me. You won't find me. Uh, The ruler of this world is coming. I mean, those things are not all that encouraging. Would y'all agree? Now, follow this. I think that would be a really good list for Jesus to say, I have told you these things so that you would know why you do not have joy. That would make a lot more sense. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be like logical if scripture were kind of read that way? I've told you that everything is going to get chaotic and there's going to be betrayal and confusion and Satan coming after you and your world's going to be very, very troubled. And I've told you all this so that you'll understand why there is no joy in your life. It'd be like, okay, well, thank you, Jesus. At least now I'm prepared. But he didn't say that. He said, I've told you these things so that my joy would be in you which leads us to his most obvious point of all. Apparently, our joy doesn't come from or should not come from what is happening to us or what is happening around us. That's just not where it's supposed to come from. 
Now, sometimes, granted, we, we kind of go there, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. So what we have to understand now, the second thing that he was telling us was these, these two words, my joy. Jesus has a joy that he wants us to have. And he's told us these things so that we're not caught off guard. That's why he told us those, by the way. So you won't be caught off guard when what's happening to you and around you is not necessarily a joyful experience, but still, I've got a joy that I'm going to give you. So what was the joy Jesus had? And we're going to go to the book of Hebrews for one sentence as well, and it's going to explain to us that. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. What that means is when we are questioning things in life, when we're wondering about things, when we're confused about things, when we're saying, man, what do we do when we're going through something difficult? We can look to Jesus who also went through something difficult. We can look to Jesus and say, what should we do? How should we respond, right? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who, follow this, for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Let's, let's just look at that little phrase, scorning the shame. For some of you, depending on what version you're reading, it's translated as despising its shame. How, how can something that he scorned or despised also bring him joy? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Well, the, the thing we have to do is understand the joy and the, and the experience weren't necessarily the same. You see, he, he talked, literally, it talks about how he scorned the shame. In other words, the cross was not only humiliating publicly. I mean, not only was, was he being crucified beside criminals as an innocent man, but it was also one of the most painful and torturous things that we could do to a human. The Roman government had come up with an excruciatingly painful way to kill someone because it wasn't sudden. Matter of fact, it was very, very prolonged and very dragged out. And he had been whipped the day before. I mean, this was a horrible experience in every way for him. Something that hopefully you and I will never even come close to enduring. He did it for us. And so when it talks about the joy, it's not talking about the joy of dying on the cross. Matter of fact, we know that that is not something that was particularly enjoyable. Jesus even asked his father, look, if there's any other way, can I not go through this? So we know Jesus wasn't saying, thank you for torturing me and thank you that I've got to go through this. But it was what was on the other side of going through it. You see, there was something to be gained. Two things in particular we're about to learn about. Two things that gave Jesus joy because he was on the other side of the cross. And look, anytime that you compare anything to Jesus dying on the cross, it's almost an insult. So if you will forgive me for making any kind of an analogy, I want to, to give you one, though, that will help us as practically as possible understand how there can be joy on the other side of something like this. And the perfect analogy for you and me is a, a mother giving birth. I mean, if y'all have ever been there, you know, like right at the, the, the nine months is coming to an end for the record, I have not been there personally, in case y'all are wondering, never done this. However, I'm married to someone who has done this, and I've been present at the birth of every single one of our children. And so here's the thing, you know, as you get closer to the nine months and, and the pain of what you're about to go through gets closer, you kind of start to have these thoughts. Maybe the baby could just stay in here. But then when you realize what it's like to try to get off the couch and to think this would only increase for the next 90 years, like, no, this thing's got to come out. And so even though there's a certain amount of pain, and just for the record, as they're going through the experience, they say things, gentlemen, that you should not take to heart. <laughs> they're going to scream. 
Maybe make some grimacing faces and, and you don't take pictures. No, that's not, not a good idea, right? Okay, but here's the point. As soon as they are on the other side of this and they, they look at this smiling little baby, they go, it was worth it for the joy set before them. And matter of fact, that joy is so great that they're willing to go through that all over again. And I can prove it because we have four of them. Right? I mean, that, that's kind of the whole, like, well, I know that was painful, but it's behind me. Look at the joy set before me. And so for Jesus, the joy that was set before him by the Father on the other side of the cross, he was willing to endure the cross, meaning that there was something joyous inside of him despite what he was experiencing. So what is that? Two things. Number one, future glory. The other side of the cross for him was glorification, as we just read, seated at the right hand of the Father, back in heaven. And he knew what that was like. He had been there, right? I mean, everybody with me? You and I sometimes, we're not as excited about heaven. Matter of fact, can I just like call out the elephant in the room? Whenever a preacher looks at you and says, hey, the good news is you will die and go to heaven. Some of you are like, shut up. Is that really the good news? I mean, I get it. Okay, that's, that's the okay Worst case scenario, good news, but seriously, Jimmy, that's really not what I want to hear. And that is part of the problem sometimes. We are so in love with this life and this world. Matter of fact, I was a youth pastor for so, so long. I am so used to the idea that going to heaven is like the bottom of the things that make me happy list. Like you're going to go and that's good. I can't tell you the number of times that I've preached to youth and they've been like, yes, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Can it wait till after the wedding night and the honeymoon? I mean, like, you know heaven's supposed to be great, but you somehow believe a trip to Myrtle Beach is better. It's not, I promise. But let's just go ahead and lay out the reality that sometimes as Christians, we do struggle with the idea of how great heaven is gonna be and having a glorified body, being in the presence of the Father, no more sin, no more sickness. That's an incredible joy when you know that that's what's in front of you. But the, the second joy that came is knowing that he had pleased the Father. Knowing that the father looked at him and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. As a matter of fact, he actually said that to him twice on earth before the cross. Did you know that? Twice on earth before the cross. How much more so were those words going to be uttered as he stands in heaven and he sits at the right hand of the father? I mean, I got to imagine, you know, thrones in heaven and he sits down and the father looks at him. I'm just, can you just imagine the words though? Man, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And so, look, here's the thing. I believe every one of us wants to hear that. I think every one of us, there's something inside of us that wants to know that all is well. That as, as we, we come to pray or to worship and we look at God, that we, we believe he looks back at us and smiles. The truth is, though, that's something I believe we all want that we don't all have. And so let me just put this in two different contexts for you. First of all, can I just say theologically, for those of you that are saved by Jesus, you would say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I know that I'm going to heaven. He died on the cross for me. I believe he's the son of God. Are you guys with me? If you're one of those people, then you need to understand theologically, yes, God looks at you and smiles. Because theologically, we are then clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so what God sees when he looks at us, he sees you, he sees your face, but he sees all that Jesus did to make you right with him. There is nothing that he looks at that makes God go, oh no, not you again. No, that's not. See, the fact that you feel that way is a lie of the devil. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you that. It is a lie of the devil. 
And if you and the Holy Spirit can go have a conversation about that and break believing that lie, that's great. If not, we've got pastors. I want to encourage you to come and talk to us because none of us should believe if we are saved by Jesus that the Father does not look upon us and smile. But the, what we really mean by this when we say, ah, I just wish I felt more, what we're really talking about is relationally and experientially. What we mean is, well, we know we're saved and legally right with God, but I wish I felt it. And let me give you another analogy. This, this one's a, a pretty good one. It's, it's like when a, a teenager gets grounded by their, their parent. You ever, you know, you've like lost your device and your car keys or whatever it is, depending on how old you are, for like a month. Okay, the next time that that teenager walks into the kitchen and mom or dad's in the kitchen, y'all know you, you can cut like the tension with a knife. You know what I'm talking about, that kind of thing. Or maybe when you're married and you've had a fight, but you didn't really resolve the fight, but you went to bed anyway, and the next morning you both come into the kitchen making your coffee or whatever it is you do, and there's just like a presence in the room. Y'all know what I'm and, and it's so frustrating because all you really want to do is just say good morning. You just, you just want that to go away. You just want to feel like everything is okay. Matter of fact, how many times have you finally broken the ice to resolve a fight by simply saying, what do we need to do to just be okay. It's what we want to feel. And so we want to feel that with God. We want to feel like, man, God looks down and he, he smiles at me and I can pray and I can talk to him and I feel like all is well with the Father. Well, see, here's the deal. For Jesus, what he was sent to do was to die on the cross to save all of us. And so what he knows that he had done in that moment, the joy that was on the other side is that he had done the will of the Father for his life. And you and me experientially, this is where we struggle sometimes because we've been given the will of the Father for our lives. And yes, we are already forgiven by the blood of Jesus, right? We already talked about the theological side of it. You're forgiven and going to heaven, but your relationship, the feeling like all is right with God is when we begin to put more of God's will into our lives. And we know that, that there is nothing in between us that shouldn't be there. And so matter of fact, well, we've, we've used this, this idea of, of joy being this internal happiness. And I told you I was going to come back to that word, this internal happiness despite external circumstances. What this internal happiness is all about, it's not about how you are feeling about things. Matter of fact, a lot of times we may go to somebody and say, hey, what do you think happiness is? We say feeling good about life. And no, that's not it at all. That may be how we use it sometimes as humans or as Americans, but that's, that's really not what that word means. The, the word happiness actually means a state of being, a state of being satisfied and content. And, and so let, let me give you an understand how this works. It's like if you ever done a week of prayer and fasting, you're really hungry and, and somebody comes to you at the end of the week of prayer and fasting, they hand you a granola bar and you take a, a bite of that granola bar and you go, oh, that's the best granola bar I've ever had. Man, that was so satisfying. Or, or like if you were wandering in a desert and after like three days in the desert, somebody gives you half a cup of water, lukewarm water, and you drink it, you go, oh, that was so satisfying. Okay, this is not like that. This is not that at all. This is like Thanksgiving dinner satisfied and content. This is like a double helping of turkey, honey-baked ham. This is like uh, stuffing Cranberry sauce that's not in the shape of a can. This is like mashed potatoes and homemade baked in the oven mac and cheese, not out of a craft box. 
right? This is like apple pie with ice cream and whipped cream on top that your grandmother made in the kitchen. This is like that kind of, and my team is playing today and they actually win. Can you believe it? Like, woo, I am satisfied. Life is good. That's what this is all about. And see, that kind of internal satisfaction and contentment only comes from these two things. Of knowing that the Father looks at you and smiles, pleased that you're living in his will, and that you have a future glory in heaven. Which, matter of fact, is the rest of that definition. Happiness is a satisfaction and a contentment. Now, an English dictionary stops there. But when we understand the word biblically, it keeps going. It's a satisfaction and a contentment that comes from having God's favor upon your life. Which means even when you're having a bad day and four flat tires in the rain and the snow at the same time, you can say, but God still loves me. And God still smiles. So I haven't lost my joy. Are you guys with me on that? And so that leads us to the last thing that Jesus told us. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you, right? His joy is is not what's happening, but, but that the Father's pleased and that his future glory is secure and that your joy may be complete. So the real question for us as we, we wrap up today is, what does it mean to have a complete joy? Well, an incomplete joy is a joy that's not always there. An incomplete joy is a joy that's based upon something, and when that something is gone, then that feeling of joy is also gone. So what really makes the difference between a complete joy that Jesus wants us to have and an incomplete joy it is depending on where we get our joy from. A complete joy comes from knowing those two things. No matter what is happening to me, the Father smiles upon me and my future is secure. That's a complete joy. But an incomplete joy, honestly, is what most of our lives are based on. Can can we just go there? And, And there are really two things more than anything else, or maybe everything just fits into these two categories. The first one is feelings. We have an incomplete joy based upon things like feelings. And so when you feel good about life, then you feel joyous and everything is great. But when you're not feeling it, look, here's the truth. The ability to to feel and to have a desire and to have a passion, that is one of the greatest gifts from God. It's what makes life exciting. I mean, imagine that moment on your wedding day and all you feel is, well, here we go. I mean, like, no, I mean, it's from God to go, yes, finally, amazing. She's beautiful or he's handsome, wherever, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's from God. But the Bible tells us that our heart is also deceitfully sick. Who can trust it? So the problem is this great gift from God to be able to feel is unfortunately one of the most corrupted things that we deal with as humans. But we trust our feelings and we put all of our stock in our feelings sometimes. Look, this this may surprise you to know, but pastors don't even always feel like they look on stage. Like, like my job is when I walk out from that curtain to, to, to give you the idea that God is on the throne, God is smiling on me, and I've never had a bad moment in my life. It's, it's kind of the idea to convey some, some faith here, but the truth is there are moments where I, I'm not as excited as I am right now, where, where I don't have the same feelings of happiness or, or whatever that, that I should have maybe, but, but they're just not always there. And here's the the truth of the story I've told you. Anytime that I'm preparing a message that somehow I always kind of have to deal with whatever I'm preaching about during the week that I'm I'm writing this. And so in order for Thanksgiving to be a little more relaxing and and some things, I I got a head start on this message. So I began this uh, a few weeks back and 
And I had to come in and, and sit down and begin to, to work on this message, doing the research for the word and putting outlines together and all that sort of stuff. And, and the particular day that I, I came in to get a head start on this message was probably one of the last days in a bunch that I, that I felt like doing anything. You ever had those days where you just want to like stay in bed and like watch Netflix, you know, just like, can I just numb my, you know, I mean, it was just a day I wasn't feeling great. I was kind of having some of my own struggles and had things happen in my own life I didn't feel real great about. And so I didn't really want to smile. Matter of fact, I wasn't smiling and I didn't really want to be around people that I had to pretend to be nice to. That was like, so I just kind of, yeah, came in, went straight to my office and shut the door. Y'all pretend I'm not here kind of thing, you know? And, and, and then I sit down, I get out all my stuff and, and I look and go, joy. Are you kidding me? And that's, I'm thinking that's like the last thing that I feel at this moment. That's when God said, exactly, Jimmy. Because joy is not about what you feel in the moment. And if you can write this and understand this and then communicate this, then everybody else also can have joy when it's not what they feel in the moment. Because too often our feelings are based upon what we're experiencing in the moment, which leads us to the second one that we base our joy on, and that's our circumstances, what's going on around us. It's, do we have enough money? Do we have enough comfort? How's your job working out? How's that relationship struggle working out? And we let our joy be based in things like that. And matter of fact, if I could just speak to something that we're facing in our, our culture and our world today. Mental health is one of our largest issues that we're facing, especially uh, for the younger generations. And this is not true for everybody in every circumstance, but I've got a lot of friends who are psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors, and they would agree with this statement, that, that some of the causes and some of the cures are spiritual. And, and so what we want to do through this Advent series is we want to take these words and get them out of the cover of a Christmas card and get them into our hearts. Because I believe that, that some of the solution that we need for what we're facing today is for peace to be real, for joy to be real, and these, these other things we're gonna talk about. And so, young people, part of the problem is, is the way that we base our joy upon what's happening around us. And we look at things like social media. And if you look at someone's social media, it's basically talking uh, or they're showing you one of their greatest experiences. They're going, look at all the joy I have in this moment. Look at what I'm going through. Look at my life. I am so joyous. And well, that may be true for them in that moment. But they don't tell you about the moments where they're not experiencing that. But what you do is you look at their joyous moment based upon a circumstance or a feeling and then what you're going through in that moment doesn't have that. And it helps lead to the idea that we can't have joy. It's not based upon our circumstances. Complete joy is from something else. So look, before I close, I just want to make one point very, very clear. For those of you that have been playing a game on your phone, stop and pay attention. I'm not calling the things that you enjoy in life bad. Matter of fact, the word enjoy is about getting joy from an occasion or an experience. I'm not calling that bad. I want you to enjoy all of the good things that God gives you in your life. That is not at all what I've tried to say to you. There are many great things that may, may come into your life and, and it does give you a feeling and it is a great circumstance. You should actually pray for good feelings in great circumstances. This is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, if you get a Christmas bonus that's twice as big as you expected, jump up and down and get a smile on your face. Students, Christmas break is coming. 
Two weeks without teachers. Come on, put a smile on your face and jump up and down. How about grandkids? They bring a joy into your life, don't they? Here's the problem with all of those. I want you to enjoy them. God wants you to enjoy them. He's the one that gives them to you. They are all great things. We get to have that feeling. But at some point, the Christmas bonus is spent. At some point, the spring semester comes and you gotta go see those teachers. And I don't have grandkids yet, but I have a friend who just went through this over the Thanksgiving holidays. Smiles all through Thanksgiving because the grandkids were there, but they live a few states away. And the day they were leaving, they shed a few tears because it's a joy that comes but it's a joy that goes. It's an incomplete joy. There's nothing wrong with the things that give us joy. It's just incomplete. And that's why Jesus is offering us a complete joy. That when when the world leaves holes and gaps, matter of fact, I like to say it this way, incomplete joy is like Swiss cheese. It's got holes in it. It's like when you take a bite of that sandwich, you didn't taste cheese, it's because you just had an incomplete bite. That was the one with the hole in the cheese. You didn't get any flavor there. And the world offers you some great joy because of God's blessings in your life. But when the grandkids go back home, a little bit of something is missing. And what Jesus is offering us is a joy that is not based upon what is happening to us and what is happening around us. So actually, I want to close today by sharing with you what I think is just an incredible story. Uh, It's happening right now to Uh, someone who's a good and dear friend of mine, been in Grace Life for a very long time and uh, facing some tough life circumstances, but has more joy than most every one of us in the room right now. So if you would turn your attention to the screen. Hi, I'm Teresa Grazafi, and I've been coming to Grace Life since 2008 and am just astounded by what God is doing to Grace Life. And that's a huge joy to me because that is the joy that is carrying me through what I am going through right now. Um, Back in June of this year, I, um, on my birthday, my 66th birthday, they saw yellow in my eyes, my daughter did, and um, she um, noticed it and I went to the doctor the next day and had a blood test and by the next day, 24 hours later, I was called and told to go to the ER at Baptist Hospital that my levels were off. And um, by four in the afternoon after an MRI and an ultrasound and a PET scan, they came in and told me that um, there was a tumor on my pancreas. And the doctor repeated it and said, did you hear what I said? And I said, yes, but I have a really, really big God. And um, joy. Joy is knowing that I am part of this Grace Life community first off. That is where a lot of my joy has come through this whole journey is the outpouring of prayers and love and messages and gifts and just God's people just pouring love all over me. Um, It's not to say that pancreatic cancer is not a hard journey, it is. Uh, It's chemo, it's doctor's appointments, it's surgeries. I've had two surgeries so far. And I have my bad days. Um, I have my days when I look up at the sky and ask God, why me? And what I always keep on hearing from God is, why not you, my child? You are on this journey for a reason and you will bless others through how you handle this journey. So. Being part of a community of God-fearing people, people who love Jesus and who love their community and love each other, 
is a huge part of my joy. Day in and day out, I get text messages, I get prayers. Um, people say, look on your front porch. And there's gifts and books and journals and just the outpouring of love from God's people is what gives me joy day in and day out. Um, family um, surrounding me and loving on me and taking care of me. Um, I don't think there's anything more frightening than walking into a chemo room where there's hundreds of chairs and there's people in every chair and every person is hooked up and receiving chemo, but you see smiles, you see interactions. I've gotten to share my story with fellow cancer patients, with some of the nurses, and I, I see the, the happiness in their eyes when they see how happy I am, and to share God's love and God's joy with them has been another big part of my own joy, is that God is helping me to understand the lessons that I can teach through what I'm going through. Um, and a very wise friend who goes here to Grace Life told me at the beginning of this journey, because he had been through a similar journey, he said, it's a win-win, Teresa. You're either gonna be God's miracle or you're gonna be in heaven with Him. So it's a win-win. And I think that's the other part of my joy is that through this journey, no matter the outcome, I'm gonna be a winner because I am a child of God and I will either be a testimony to His miraculous glory or I will be with Him. I have um, other people who are going through this, family members, and we share with one another. And that's something that both of us as believers understand is, is that we've been told we have a cancer that's not curable, but it's treatable. So we both know you know, what's going to happen down the road. Eventually, I hope it's 10 years from now, God, you know, and, um, but no matter when it is, is that um, I'll be waiting on y'all. <laughs> I'll already be there. <laughs> if you put your joy in your health, someday it may be gone. If you put your joy in your money, Someday it may be gone. If you put it in your job, relationships, you get the point, right? But when you put your joy in knowing that nothing can change your future for all of eternity, when you put your joy in knowing that the Father looks at you and smiles and says, you are my son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased, that, that's a joy you can have no matter what you're facing in this life. So the only question I leave you with, where does your joy come from? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for a life that is filled with so many things that are joyous. We thank you that you've given us friends and you've given us family, you've given us vacations and good food and, and healthy days. And God, you've just given us so much. Sometimes we, we take those for granted. We even forget the good that is all around us. 
God, today we come before you to say thank you for those. And now, will you help us to find something that that is bigger than all of that? Will you help us to experience satisfaction and contentment in where we are with you over anything that this world offers or anything this world tries to take away? God, will you give us a security in our hearts to know that peace and joy reign no matter what is happening in the world. And if you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that will you struggle to experience that because you've never made Jesus your king. And until you do that, you'll never be able to have peace. You'll never be able to have joy outside of a temporary moment based on what is happening around you in this life. You see, Jesus came as the Son of God to earth. That's what we're celebrating at this time of year. It's what Advent is helping us understand. Jesus came as the Son of God to earth. He lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross as an innocent man so that his life, his death, would pay for your sins. And you could be forgiven. And then he was raised from the dead by the Father so that you could look to that same power to give you eternal life. If you have never accepted this free gift of salvation of making Jesus Christ your king. I want to help you do that wherever you are right now. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you give me a life of great meaning and fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people, amen.